Now let's direct our attention to the Word of God, and we are again in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to direct your attention this morning to just kind of an overview of what is presented to us in that last portion of that last verse. By the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The writer does not elaborate upon the gifts of the Spirit as Paul does in his letters. But I want us to take a look at those this morning, at least an overview of them. And notice, first of all, that it says they are distributed, these gifts are distributed according to God's will. It is God's will and His purpose to give His people gifts, spiritual gifts, gifts that are bestowed upon them and worked in them and manifested and accomplished by the work of the Spirit of God. In addition to conviction, in addition to uh, regeneration, in addition to illumination, in addition to the inspiration of the Scripture and all the many things the Holy Spirit does bearing witness with our spirit and all the things the Spirit of God, the third person of the triune God does in us and for us in making all the promises of God come to pass in us. In addition to all that, and to accomplish all that, he bestows gifts. And they're interesting phenomenon in the church. In fact, this is the way God's grace flows. The whole thrust of the gospel is that it comes to us by the grace of God. God himself, the Father himself, gave the Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal everlasting life. The son came and the son gave himself. He gave himself for us. Then the Father and the Son give the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. The Spirit of God comes to us by a gift. It all flows from grace. It's giving from the triune God all the way through 
to us, and that's what we have. The Holy Spirit himself is a promise made in the Old Testament that is fulfilled in his coming at Pentecost in particular to be in his people and among his people and with his people. It is the very presence of God by his spirit that which could not be accomplished by the incarnation of the Son in his ubiquity and his omnipresence is accomplished by the Holy Spirit and that is Christ dwells with us by his Spirit and operates in us and among us by his Spirit. The great working of the Spirit of God is a fulfillment of an Old Testament promise. In fact, salvation is viewed by Peter in his Pentecost sermon is wrapped up in he gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit. So there's a sense in which the great salvation that God bestows in the giving of Christ is effectuated, made real, made operative, applied as it were by his spirit. And one of the things he does is bestow spiritual gifts. And I want us to look at a few passages briefly in the New Testament all that talk about this. And I'll just take them in the order in which they appear in the New Testament. It's some order to that. The first mention of these gifts in a group is found in Romans chapter 12. And beginning there in verse 6. Let me read it for you. This is uh, an immense amount of doctrine and teaching about the gospel and about the great salvation, all the facets of it, propitiation, justification, the accomplishment of Christ, the application of the gospel to our souls, the outworking and the practice of it, God's great purpose in giving, all that stuff's been covered by Paul in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then in 12, he turns to us and says, he bese I beseech you that you give your bodies as a living worship, a living liturgy, a worship service to the Lord. And we're not left to our own devices as to what that entails. We are gifted by the Spirit of God to know what we are to do in giving that sacrifice of ourselves. Isn't that a wonderful? Just think about it. The, the Spirit of God just to say, go, He equips and He gives us gifts. Here's the way Paul wraps it up there in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. It's all of grace. The word grace and gift is the same word, by the way. According to the grace given to us, less, let us use them. And then he lists a few. Not all, but some very important ones. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. If this was all that Paul said about the gifts of the Spirit, it'd be enough to give us a pretty good idea of what he's talking about. The first gift he mentions is kind of has a priority within itself. It's the gift of prophecy. 
The Spirit of God has always been in the prophecy business. It was the Spirit of the Lord that came upon the prophets in the Old Testament and inspired them and urged them and moved them to preach the gospel of the coming of the Savior. And prophecy carries over into the New Testament. The gift of prophecy in the Old Testament was mainly foretelling. If you'll read the prophets carefully, they talked more about what had happened in the law than they did about what was going to happen in the coming Messianic age. But they had predictive prophecy, predicting the time and the place where the Savior would be born and what would be the nature of His ministry and all those several things that we know about the coming of Christ, all of that was prophesied by the prophets. And they longed to look into these things and they talked about them in various ways, in types and in straightforward prophecies and in symbols and emblems and, and other ways that they, they said, He is coming. It was a forth-telling of what God would do. And prophecy, the gift of prophecy never abates. In fact, it increases. Jesus was the supreme prophet and descending from Christ were the apostles who had the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is forthtelling. It tells all about Christ, same subject matter, except he's saying Christ is come. He is here. He has accomplished these things and the preaching of the gospel is the heart of prophecy. And Jesus is the primary subject of prophecy. In Him, all the prophecies are yes and amen. They all are fulfilled in Christ. If someone is not preaching to you Christ, He's not really giving you biblical prophecy. I hear a lot of stuff today that talks about other things and it's called prophecy and there's no mention of Christ. That's not prophecy. Prophecy is centered upon the person, the prophet, that prophet, the prophet. That's why Islam is in such conflict with Christianity, is we have two different prophets. Not only two different, absolutely different notions of God, but two different prophets. And these prophets have done different things. One has given us the word of God, they claim, the other is the Word of God. So the gift of prophecy to the church is, it, it is, is enriching and centering and it is what we should hear all the time. It should be what we seek, what rings in our ear. And God has gifted certain men, all of the apostles and then certain men down through the years and called them to this ministry. It's a, it's a tough ministry. It's a tough calling. Because the prophet has to, first of all, listen to God. And he has to work through all of his doubts. The prophet has to work through his reluctancies. Moses had them. Jeremiah had them. Samuel, we looked at Samuel last year. And after all of that, the prophet wasn't free to, to give his own insights and his own message. He was obligated to preach the Word of God, not out of his own heart, not out of his own concerns, not out of his own observations, not out of his own brilliance and his own wisdom, not out of his own personality altogether, but he was to be the servant of God in bringing the Word of God to God's people, and that never changes. We have to have that in the New Testament church. We have to have 
prophets among us. Men who have the gift of centering and lifting up and focusing upon and magnifying Jesus Christ, our Savior. If they're not doing that, they're not prophets. And if they're doing something else, they're false prophets. And so the Spirit of God gets the first gift first, the most important gift first, the enlivening gift, the defining gift, the enabling gift, and that is the gift of presenting the Christ, the Savior of the world, the one who came, the one who died, the one who lived, the one who rose again, the one who intercedes, the one who reigns, the one who is coming again. That's prophecy. Then it says in service, it's the word for deacon. It's the deacon ministry. It's taking care of the needs of the table. It's to take care of the material needs, the needs that people have primarily for not just a spiritual appetite to hear the manna from heaven, but to eat and to serve tables and to have daily bread. And that is a gift that men are given in the church. The one who teaches, the teacher is similar to the prophet in some ways in that the teacher is the one that explains, that defines the parameters, that gives the definitions, says what something is and what something is not, and puts in order and puts in balance and puts in comprehension and in overview understanding to make sure we hear orthodoxy, true, right, straight doctrine and teaching. Not everyone is gifted for that. I've heard a lot of people that do Bible teaching, but I listen to it and it sounds more like babble teaching to me. It's babble, it's not Bible. They're not gifted. They may be educated, they may have a doctorate from the finest seminary, but they don't have the gift that God gives some men in the church to set forth divine truth in its entirety, in its accuracy, in its fullness, and I might say, in its power, spiritual power. Not the power of public speaking, but the power of private transformation that takes place in the soul. There are other gifts that God gives His people in the church. It says the one who exhorts, the word exhortation is that ministry which involves several things and God gifts people with it. It involves maybe a rebuke. It may involve encouragement. In fact, the word is often translated comforts to fortify, to strengthen. We are in dire need of the gift of exhortation to be among us. We're told in Scripture to exhort one another if it wasn't for exhortation, we would all become so confused and so discouraged and so disheartened, they would probably give up. But somewhere along the line, God brings someone to us through a book or through a message or through a Sunday school lesson or through a devotion that gives us the courage, the strength, the faith that we need for that trying hour. And if the Spirit didn't grant that and didn't convey that to us through this gift, We'd be just like all other people groups. We'd have about as much effectiveness as the Boy Scouts and the PTA. Not too much more than that. And certainly no deeper spiritually than that. 
and apt to go astray if we didn't have the exhorters among us. The one who contributes in generosity. There's a lot of talk always about generosity, but there is no such thing as a stingy Christian. If you're just totally stingy, you just need to check yourself to see if you're even a believer. Because you're not even, you, you don't even have the basic notion of the gospel. <laughs> the basic notion of the gospel is God freely gives. The basic notion of the gospel is everything we have belongs to him and all that we have. What do you have that you didn't receive, Paul asked the Corinthians. They had a lot of stuff. They were a trading center. They were the boom town of the ancient world, the, 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 the uh, ports of Corinth. They were wealthy. But Paul reminded them that what they had was from God. He told his ancient people, I am the Lord thy God. I have the power to give thee wealth. And generosity is that spirit that recognizes all and, and, and over and beyond just normal giving and, and, and giving to charity and giving out of love and giving from need is an abundance to pour on and to, and to, to give beyond measure. The one who leads, one of the saddest lacks in church is leadership. People who can lead with, first of all, integrity integrity of heart, and then lead by example, and then lead by wisdom and direction and zeal, it's put here. Uh, leadership always involves a certain degree of motivation. A leader is someone that sort of takes the mantle and runs with it, and then others follow. And there are men in the church that God has given this particular gift to. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Acts of mercy are usually tough acts. They talk about getting down in the trenches and down in the ditches and down in the weeds with people. It takes a certain gift of empathy and sympathy and discernment and wisdom, desire to help desire to stay with some difficult situation in moving and pulling and helping someone through it. It may be financial, it may be emotional, it may be spiritual, it may be familial. It could be any number of ways, but does it with cheerfulness. That's a gift. That's a gift. That, that's a gift that, that, that brightens up the people of God, that lightens and encourages and gives joy to the heart. Then another place Paul addresses the, uh, the spiritual gifts. There's some things there worth seeing is in 1 Corinthians 12 and in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gift, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God. Did you see the Trinitarian giftedness there? He speaks of the Holy Spirit, speaks of the Lord, and speaks of of the Father God, at the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit of the common good. In other words, this is for our good. This is our, for our common needs, our common good, the communion of the saints. And so he begins to list them. To one is given through the spirit, that's about the fourth time in that passage he's let us know these are spiritual gifts. These are not just innate talents. These are not just 
abilities. These are not just our natural proclivities and our skill set. It involves that. It's enmeshed in those things that come to us through our DNA and our circumstances in life. But, but it's more than that. It is a special anointing of God's Spirit whereby that talent, that gift, that, that, that personality trait is enhanced and made to do the work of the Lord. And it is given away by the person who receives it. It's not just used to make more money or to get more reputation. It is bestowed upon others. It ends in the good of others. This is what uh, this particular gift is all about to, for the common good. It's given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. We have a lot of knowledge and a lot of information in our world today, but we have less and less wisdom. Wisdom in the Old Testament is that capacity to live well, to live successfully, to do things right and to do things with integrity and to do things that are fruitful and productive over the long term and to do those things that benefit people along the way. And wisdom can be applied in the work of the church, in our families, in business, in industry, in government. There's a profound need in our world for wisdom and and so much wisdom is ungodly and is merely human and man-centered. And godly wisdom comes as a gift from the Lord. If anyone lack wisdom, let he ask, James tells us. And that's a spiritual gift that is bestowed sovereignly by the Spirit to another utterance of knowledge that, of course, is parallel to the teaching gift we spoke of in the other passage, to another faith of the same Spirit, some people have a capacity to believe God in spite of everything. And some of, some of us don't. That's a gift. And it's used, and I'll tell you what it's used for. Those people that really believe God can strike out on a course, and some of us will follow. Because they believe God, they follow God. That's a special gift. God puts it in the church. He puts it in, in the, the people of the church for that that operation, another gift of healing by the one spirit to another, the working of miracles, healing and miracles. We talked uh, last time about those sign gifts, signs, miracles, wonders that the Lord did in great measure and that the apostles did uh, at, in the beginning of the church to authenticate the word of God and to move the gospel forward. These gifts are operative in the church and the gift, the ability to distinguish between spirits discernment, another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. And by the way, this is chapter 12. In chapter 14, just so you know, Paul will spend the, most of the chapter talking about that gift of tongues. Somehow that gift of tongues is, is a kind of a special case and needs some special attention and some real serious instruction in righteousness. And he does that in chapter 14. We don't have time to go there. But the tongues and the interpretation of tongues, all these empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Remember our text said that the Lord gives it to us according to his will. It is his dispensation. It is his gift to the church. And then a couple of other passages. There's not only just the notion of... Uh, 
of gifted uh, of gifts in the church, but there's the notion, and I'll touch on this briefly, of gifted offices. Uh, in chapter 12 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, down in the end of the, the uh, chapter, verse 27. Now you who are the body of Christ and individually members of it, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, or leading, and various kinds of tongues. Isn't that the, the, the list that we've seen uh, so far? And they ask, does everyone have every gift? Of course not. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer implied is no. They're distributed individually, severally, as the Spirit gives each person the gift they need. He said, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And he speaks of this when he shows a more excellent way. And the very next verse in the chapter, even in the text, is chapter 13. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not love. And he talks about love. You hear that chapter read, a portion of it at weddings. And it certainly applies to a marriage, but it applies to operations of the gifts of God within the body of Christ. And finally, Paul does a similar thing in Ephesians chapter 4, where he, he lists these things um, with, um, let me see if I can find it, where, where it is in my text here. Oh yeah, here it is in chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Now he's going to give the purpose of the gifts. These are gifts bestowed to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of, of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, each part working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The purpose of the, ministry, the uh, gifts are to equip the saints for ministry, for service, to make them mature and to give them mission, to edify, that means to build up the body of Christ. The, the, the church is spoken of in the scripture as a family. It's spoken of as an assembly, as a body as a building or a temple, as a vineyard, as a field. And all of these have some picture of how it is to be moved to fruitfulness. It is to move, be moved to productivity and power in bringing about the mission that God has given us. Remember the commission? Go into all the world. Make disciples. Discipling people. These are all bent one way or another to move us to a discipline that is discipleship. So that we are moved and built up and encouraged and led and inspired and instructed to be more like Christ. The body joined to the head 
into a full, functioning, working, intricately, every joint and every organ and every part functioning together as God intends it to do. And when we do that, we have restored the creation. Because that's what the Father did at the very beginning of creation. And we restore it when we do that. And the Spirit of God, just like God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath, the Spirit of life, and he became a living soul. God breathes into the nostrils of the church, the faithful, the people, the assembly, the very breath of God, the Spirit of God. And they become living, functioning, healthy, vital, fulfilling, fruitful organism to his glory, to his glory. 